This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 30th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Is climate change the most important environmental problem facing our future? Indra Goklani, author of The Improving State of the World, says probably not. In fact, he says a comparison of earthly environmental problems reveals a great deal about just what will loom largest for the next 100 years. We spoke yesterday. Given what we know with some degree of confidence about climate change, what is the appropriate response? Before I get into that, I think it's really useful to take a look at the issue as to how important climate change is relative to other problems that humanity faces. Because if it's as important as some people think it is, then we need to be ready to spend a lot of resources on it. But if it's less important than, than people have claimed that it is, then perhaps you don't need to spend, spend all that many resources. Now, a number of people have told us that climate change is the most important environmental problem facing the world this century. People such as ex-President Clinton, uh, President Chirac, no longer president uh, of France, uh, Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, people like that keep telling us that climate change is the most important problem facing the world, environmental problem facing the world this century. Now, the funny thing about that is there's never been any analyses shown to, sh- to compare how climate change uh, compares with other problems. And unless you do a comparative analysis, you cannot say that something is the largest or the smallest or the same as or anything like that. Now, I've done that analysis. When you compare the magnitude of a risk that climate change is contributing to, and you compare that versus the magnitude of other non-climate change related factors that contribute to the same risk, then the contribution of climate change isn't that much. The bottom line, in terms of how we measure risks, what is the, is it human death toll? That, uh, yes, there are different methods of measuring uh, risks, but the single most important me- method of uh, measuring risk when it comes to human well-being is to take a look at the population at risk. For example, if you're talking of malaria, in that case, we need to find out what is the population at risk of malaria And then, ideally, we should be able to translate that into the number of deaths that may occur because of malaria. So when we go through that exercise, we take the population at risk for malaria, we take the population at risk for hunger and for coastal flooding, and we project this out to the future. It's not, the projections have been done by the the fast-track assessment itself. I've just taken the results. And what I did was I looked at the total risk due to non-climate change related factors and climate change. Whereas in the IPCC report, virtually the only thing that gets reported is a fraction that is due to climate change. Uh, Let me go back to my example of uh, malaria. With respect to malaria, for example, the fast track assessments tell us that between 1990 and 2085, 
the population at risk of malaria is going to double from 4 billion people, that's B, billion with a B, to 8 billion people. And, but that's in the absence of climate change. And this is going from 1990 to 2085. But in 2085, climate change alone will cause an additional 300 million people to come at risk of malaria. Now, 300 million people sounds like a lot until you start looking at the numbers at risk in the absence of climate change. Here you're comparing hundreds of millions with billions. Turns out that 3.5% of the total risk in 2085 would be due to climate change. The other 96.5% would be due to other factors. So if somebody tells you that climate change is going to uh, cause many millions to come at risk, or even hundreds of millions of people to come at risk of malaria, they're right. But what they haven't told you is that there are billions at risk in the absence of climate change. And that makes a big difference because if you were to wipe out climate change, halt climate change totally at its 1990 level, then the most that you'd be able to do would be able to, you'd reduce the total amount of malaria by 3.5%. On the other hand, if I go after the whole malaria problem, which I could do, if, for example, if I developed a vaccine for malaria, then that vaccine would not care whether it was due to, uh, whether the malaria was due to climate change or due to some other factor. But in that case, I could go after the 100% of the problem. And this is something that we find with each and every impact of climate change. And the fact is, climate change does not create new problems as much as it exacerbates existing ones. So if you just focus on climate change, you'll be able to get the additional problem due to climate change, but you'll not get the whole problem due to the, uh, due to the basic risk factor. You can, uh, now, the, according to the UN Millennium Program, we could reduce uh, malaria by 75% uh, for $3 billion per year. Whereas... If you were to wipe out climate change, nobody's ever done that, uh, costed that out, because it's something that's really unimaginable, because you'd have to shut down today's energy system altogether. But we know that if the Kyoto Protocol, for example, were to be instituted, in that case, we'd be able to reduce climate change by 7% in the year 2100. This means that Malaria would be reduced by 7% of 3.5%, because 3.5% is a portion that is due to climate change. That gives us 0.2%. So, and the Kyoto Protocol is going to cost something of the order of $160 billion per year. So for $160 billion per year, we'd be reducing malaria by 0.2%, as opposed to going after the whole ball of wax all of malaria, and you'd be able to reduce it by 75% at a cost of $3 billion. The benefits that you're talking about, it seems that the benefits are clearer when you're talking about inoculating people against malaria or addressing hunger. It's harder to see uh, how credible predictions of specific actions now are going to pay off in terms of climate change down the road. 
That's true. And that's actually another reason why we should be focusing on solving today's problems, which will also help in a way that will help us solve the problems of climate change in the future. Um, I give you this example of the malaria vaccine because it's an easy example to grasp. But we can do the same thing for... Uh, for uh, let's, one of the arguments that has been floated is that, fine, we can do something about health and hunger, etc. But what about the environment? The environment, how do you adapt to that? Because the environment, uh, most people think, is something that is very hard to adapt. And my response to that is, let's take a look at what are the environmental problems. What is this? Let's take a look at biodiversity. What's the single most important threat to terrestrial biodiversity? It is the fact that human beings are taking land and converting it to agriculture. That's the single largest threat to terrestrial biodiversity. Now, one method, and there are different methods of dealing with that, and climate change may add to this problem because it's one more threat um, on biodiversity. The other method... Uh, the other thing that I would recommend is let's look at what's the major cause of, which is the major threat to terrestrial biodiversity. And as we and and if it is the fact that human beings are converting land to agriculture, a solution would be to try to make agriculture much more productive. Because if it's more productive, this means less land is going to be converted to agriculture. And therefore, there will be fewer threats on biodiversity. The, I can generalize the argument by uh, taking the example of a camel. Uh, many people have said that climate change could be the straw that bre breaks the camel's back. And, and I think that could be an apt analogy. Uh, but there are different methods of dealing with the problem of the last straw. One method, which is what a lot of people in the climate change business advocate, is to intercept that last straw, make sure it doesn't fall on the camel's back. That's the same as reducing climate change. The other method would be to take a look at the load that's on the camel's back and start removing those a bunch of straws before that last straw comes by. Now, one thing we know is that we do, because, uh, as you mentioned, we are not certain when the last straw will fall or how heavy that straw will be or whether that would indeed break anybody's back. But if we were to set all that aside and say, I don't care how heavy the last straw is or when it comes, etc., I know that there's a lot of straw on the camel's back and I'm going to start removing that. I know there is straw on the camel's back. And if I remove those, I know for sure I'll be doing some good for the camel's back. Whereas if I put all my, if I may mix metaphors, all my eggs in one basket with the notion that I'm going to eliminate that last straw, I may, I may or may not do good. Whereas if I get rid of some of the straws in advance, I know I will be doing some good. Indra Goklani is author of the Cato book, The Improving State of the Planet, and the upcoming Cato policy analysis, What to Do About Climate Change. 
This is the Cato Daily Podcast. Read more on the economics of our environment at our website, cato.org.